are bots the new apps? AI-powered chatbots that interact with people and help them complete simple tasks like ordering a pizza or reserving airline tickets are becoming increasingly pervasive. When companies can get those bots right so that they're user-friendly, make our lives easier, and provide real value, well, we're getting the sense that people are going to prefer interacting with them than with people. In today's episode, I'm talking with Eric Kavianen, one of the founders of Maya, a bot-building and hosting platform. We're going to look at bots, the opportunities they present, and what companies like yours need to be thinking about as bots become an ever more common part of our lives. I'm John Pryle. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. All right. It's got a lot of background that I'd like to cover as we talk about this space. So let's kind of work a little bit through the landscape of, of topics and interactions. And so let's just start a little bit with, with uh, messaging, the, the automation of messaging, and dare I call them bots, and the nature of chat. So can you help me define some of these terms and what your perspective is on these different piece parts? Right. So I think I mean, that's, that's been a challenge for the space is the, the, term, the terminology, a lot of the terminology is overloaded. So you've got AI, which means artificial intelligence. It's about trying to emulate what people do with software. You've got bots. The term bot really means a method, a method of, a, of a person interacting with software. Rather than tapping on buttons in an app or clicking on elements in a website, it's conversational uh, in tone. So I your think, implication on that definition then is there would always kind of be a bot to human chat when you're talking about bots now there's kind of a human on the other side of that interaction versus sending that crawler out that google might do right so i think when we're talking about bots now that the what's what's exploding now are bots not as in like bots as scrapers but bots as this new interface so bots are really software and it, it's it's tough to define what a bot is and what a bot is not but the way i think about it it's defined by how the human interacts with the software if it's conversational and tone if it's uh, using a voice, then it's more bot-like. And bots tend to live in messaging apps. They also can live in things like Amazon Echo or Google's upcoming home, even in your car. So bots are the, these portable agents that behave a lot like a, like a person might. And the bot becomes then, obviously, the bot's that pervasive thing that sticks. And it really doesn't matter then if it's, if it's iMessage or Alexa or it's, it's really, the, the, it's actually the same thing as happening in just two different, uh, I'll use the word platform perhaps, right? Right. Like the way I think about it, a bot has human-like characteristics. So perhaps me and you could chat over um, iMessage or we could switch to Facebook Messenger. It doesn't really matter. The medium, we're still the same people on the, on the other end of that conversation. So a bot is portable in that, in that same way that people are across the platforms. So a bot needs to, to live where the user lives. And you've written a blog post recently about bots are the new apps. So talk to me how you see bots kind of as and why that's why they might become more pervasive than than net additional apps showing up on the in the planet here. I, th- I think one of the the bigger trends here is there's been an, an ever increasing amount of apps being built. So there's millions millions of apps now, but at the same time, the number of apps being installed by a typical consumer is declining. So something has has to give there. And at the same time, we've software hasn't solved all of our problems. So there needs to be a new platform for amazing user experiences to be built. And and messaging is so pervasive that the pervasiveness of messaging combined with the advances in, in machine learning and natural language processing has made this this a really exciting time for this to be the next big thing. You mentioned in that piece as well that I have to make a choice to go to an app store and download an app. 
but if I'm working in Messenger or any, maybe, and as Apple opens up iMessage or whatever, I, these bots will be there for me? Does, does someone need to go out and request them? How, how does that change the nature of interactions? Right. First of all, there's a lot, a long way to go in this, on this side. I think of this as the discovery. So for bots really to, to work, they need to appear when you need them and go away when you, when you don't. There should be very low friction on, on both sides. So if you're perhaps going to a baseball game and you want to order a hot dog and you open up Messenger, the hot dog bot should be there ready to go or perhaps even ask you if you want a hot dog if that's, if that's something that makes sense to you. And I had just recently read a piece where someone was comparing using a bot to a simple Google search. And it was kind of an anti-bot pro search point. And it said, look, if I want to go to the weather, I have to then type in what's the weather and the worst dumbest bot will say, and where are you? As opposed to just opening up the weather app on my iPhone and I know what the weather is or it, Google knows where I am at any point in time. So the, 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 it's already ahead of the search game because they have a more data. So there's really two elements of this. It's really both the interaction as well as kind of the, the data set that supports it. Can you help us go through both of those elements, please? So I, I think um, the weather bots, one of the quintessential first bots you might build. And that's, I think it's a good learning use case. But I don't know if a weather bot is particularly that great of a bot either. What's nice about bots is they're connect, when they're connected to services. So if you tell a bot, perhaps Comcast would ever do this, but you know, Comcast, can, please cancel my account. That bot should be able to take action on what you're doing. If you go to Google and type in cancel my Comcast account, that may not work, right? It won't work, actually. So I could see bots even creeping into search. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Google does a good job of this already with Google Now, which is now becoming Google Assistant. They have a hybrid environment where search and assistant are kind of together. You can ask Google, what's the weather? And they get an audio answer from uh, Google Now or Google Assistant. I think they work together. And bots are good at getting things done in the, re- the real world, connected to real services. These are really interesting nuances. And there are a lot of facets to this, which I would just kind of, let me recap a little bit because I think it's cool. Discovery is very important. And then the thought about Comcast getting ahead of its customers in terms of knowing what people might choose to do should be botified. Whether there's even a person at the end of the back behind it or not doesn't matter. They all have to figure out a better way to interact. You know, get the NLP right and let somebody just say, I want to cancel my account. I have suffered on so many websites and angst and scream at the developers because I can't find what I want and I know what they're trying to do and it drives me nuts. But then the flip side of it is I still had a task to do. The Google world somehow still is, un, it's not menu driven, it's unstructured, it's anything. So maybe on one end of the spectrum, you've got the Comcast, and the other end of the spectrum, you've got something completely unstructured, unknown, that has to be solved. Are we going to solve them at different points in time? And how, help me a little bit how Amaya might help in this. I think it's more of a tapestry type of thing, um, where individual companies are, are, work, are tackling their particular use case. And since they're unifying in these same frameworks, like Facebook Messenger, for example, that over time, you're going to be able to solve more and more of your customer service problems, first of all, with a bot. And then it'll just creep, creep up over time. And at some, maybe an inflection point, it makes sense to maybe aggregate those services into a more general framework. Mm-hmm. And that may happen along the way as well. So you might see things like Siri open up their SDK. So you can see these Comcast perhaps integrating some of their bot infrastructure into Siri, and then Siri can start taking action more than question response type of interactions. On the, on the, on the Comcast Siri piece, yeah. the assumption would be that this discovery is done, that somehow either Apple 
or Comcast communicates to an end user and says, you now have a rich array of Comcast functionality available to you. And, they, and they'll have to provide that to you at great agony when they really want to give you more Apple TV controls. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a, there's a tension there between the competing product offerings for sure. Yeah. But the discovery, they, someone has to tell me. So Comcast could send me an email that said, by the way, you could now do a lot of your Comcast customer support through Siri. Right. There's, there's a push element. Um, you see this a lot in with what Google's doing inside of Gmail or Inbox, where you, you know, you're getting these emails from your, uh, your providers, even the Comcast or uh, Amazon, and they parse the, this email and they surface your item shipped today. It'll be arrived on Friday. So they're already kind of edging into that world. I think Apple will be doing that as well. And so that becomes a natural discovery element. So perhaps now you could take action on that Amazon shipment and cancel it, or uh, I don't know what else you might do with an Amazon shipment other than cancel it. But you might question, you know, you might ask the bot, "What's the tracking number?" or something like that. But you can use that as an edge into more interesting use cases. So we have those are interesting integration points. So I've got Siri at one end; it's the closest thing, perhaps, to the end user because they're talking to Siri. Uh, I've got Amazon somewhere sitting, and let's not do Echo, so let's just stay with Siri. And I've got right. my Amazon shipment more at the back end coming to me through a Google email, perhaps. Where does the, if you're, if you're a CEO trying to solve a problem, and these are the big companies, how does that problem get, who's the one that makes a decision to solve that problem and start to aggregate or get access to these different data sources? I think it, it is initiated by the, the larger companies. These larger companies have lots of customers, they have lots of data accumulating just from the normal uh, operational uh, activity. But there's a sense of leaving something on the table. If they're not interacting with their customer, it may be the way the customer wants to interact. Or maybe there's something they're, they're missing. So I think it's driven from providing a better customer experience. I think, first of all, that's where it starts from. And then I guess the mechanics of how do you create a better experience. And that's when a company might like, talk to us, for example. Like, that's what we see. You know, we've got this IVR system, like you mentioned earlier, a frustrating IVR, a phone IVR system. How do we convert that into a more human messaging experience? So we, we, I mean, that's an use case that we see coming in. We've done a little bit of maybe more request response, short-term things, even cancel my account or what's the ship date. Uh, what about the thoughts of longer running, and I'll use the word transactions, but longer running interactions? And how do you see that evolving? First of all, you're, you're going to start from these like short run type of interactions that may span a few minutes, cancel an account, upgrade an account, uh, get some advice about a package or whatever. But the long running interactions are pretty interesting. Perhaps something like after you've signed up for your service, the bot may follow up and ask, hey, how's this going? Are you happy with your service? Would you consider switching or perhaps I noticed that you're not using all your data. You know, would you upgrade or downgrade? And so I think those are really cool models. If you get them right, you have to be very careful. because you're, you're looking at a bot pushing information to a user now. I, I love that because we, we, we spend a lot of time talking to companies about customer success and managing churn and keeping churn down. And, and this, you know, this world of SaaS and low-touch sales, there's got to be the way to do that. And I don't know that we've actually done enough work, thinking work on our end. I think this, you're triggering off a great piece for us in terms of how bots can help more on that customer success and keep guys involved. So the director of product design at Intercom, he wrote a pretty cool post and he had eight principles of bot designs. And there's two of them that I'd love for you to comment on. The two that I thought were interesting is number one, 
don't pretend to be a human. And the other one was use sparingly. Here's some other ones that were cool, but those are the two that kind of stuck in my mind. What are your thoughts on those? First point, don't pretend to be a human. I think that's all about transparency and control. So the user needs to feel, there's a creepiness factor. We got to like minimize the, the amount of the creepiness. If there's a, a certain transparency that they're talking to a bot, but the bot is powerful, what we've seen is that the quickly the, the guard comes down on the user or the consumer. They feel comfortable chatting to the bot. They understand that they're ch- chatting with a the bot. They're not competing with it. Um, I think it speaks to the uncanny valley concept. So you have to pick where you're gonna where you're you're gonna end up. And I think it's definitely safer to embrace your the botness. Okay. And you call that uncanny valley? Is, can you explain that? What did you mean by that? So this is the concept of you're trying to create a like a physical, let's say a physical robot that you're interacting with in the real world. If you try to make it too human-like but fail, like so you, you're almost human but not quite human, it has a very high creepy factor. So they call it the un- uncanny valley. Um, so it's better to say, you know what, let's go cartoon, like a cartoon-like uh, interaction. It, 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 for whatever reason, the, psycho- the psychology of the human is like, this is not scary to me. I get it. It's not real, but it's real enough to help me, help me, but not real enough to maybe like, you know, do harm in my sleep or something. You're going on record. I'm, I'm, you are now on record. Eric is on record that Clippy was ahead of his time. Well, it's, um, <laughs> I did not. I did not say that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know what? It's it was it, it was they were in the right place. You know, they were thinking in, in the right terms. I think Clippy could make a resurgence in a new form. I could. I could definitely. I would say that. I would go on record to say that. You could see. There it you new, go. New I love form. it. So you've got a couple of key pieces as well, and and I thought the two that are most interesting to ask you to comment on. You said there's there they really work well. Bots work well for these one-offs or infrequent mobile transactions. Think about downloading an app, for example. If you want to say buy movie tickets just for a one-off event, you know, you're going to the movies, you don't go very often, and it's more convenient to buy, you know, online with a mobile app, but only provided you already have the app. Otherwise, it's easier just to buy it at the, uh, the terminal. So there's a friction, there's an activation energy, some sort of like thing you have to get over. But bots can reduce that friction. There's no install process. It, you know, ideally, with a good discovery mechanism, let's say inside of Messenger, it's Friday night and the movie bot appears at the top of your inbox or whatever um, Messenger calls it in the future. Then it's, a, it's just a tap, two taps, and you've purchased your ticket. So low-frequency use cases don't justify... The user's not going to download an app for a one-off use, ca- use case unless it's the pain is great, to, you know, so it's a trade-off, right? So it, it's, it's about reduction of the, ins- the install friction and the, the first user experience. Yeah, we're on a journey. See, in my case, so there's a couple of AMC movie theaters when, I, when, I, when I'm in New York. So I do have the AMC app which is kind of neat that when I walk to the theater, the app pops up. So it's waiting for that. And I will often buy my tickets remotely, but I have to tell you that the ticket purchase to my mind is still a kind of a web-based old style ticket purchase that I'm doing on my phone. They haven't made that easy for me at all yet. There's too many screens, there's too many clicks, and eventually the tickets make it to my passbook. They're, they're, they're probably, they're, they're, I love that you've been using the word friction. I'm really going to, I think that really nails it. There's too much friction still, even though that app pops up. The other stuff is, is very challenging to me. Right. Like, like a, a, a bot or any software really shouldn't ask you for anything that it already knows. So if you're using Messenger, we are, your bot has some access to your information already. You, maybe you've made a purchase in the past. It shouldn't ask 
for the same piece of information that it likely knows the answer to. Perhaps it can ask for a confirmation, like, do you want to use the same credit card as last time? And then it's a simple button press. Don't ask you to type in a full credit card, for example. That's, a, that's just a pain, right? So it's a, it's a paradigm shift. You don't want to squeeze in an old school web form into a bot. There's, you defeat the whole purpose. You need to rethink that user experience. It's about like reduction of clicks, reduction of taps, reduction of cognitive load. And if you don't, you've missed the point and your bot is essentially useless and no one's right. going to use it. And in this case, whether it's the bot or the app, what you're articulating really has to be done. And the, the fear, of course, is, is security more than privacy in this case. So it's got my credit card. I do need to validate it. Would rather it said... If you want to use your same credit card for these two tickets of the movie you just picked, just put your thumbprint here because my banks are letting me sign it with my thumbprint and I don't have that yet on their app. That, we need some effective two-factor. Right, yeah. There's definitely there's an element to the uh, operating system. So bots aren't going to replace... Op- you have to work with the operating system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even your use case where you had the app pop up based on location... That, that currently, doesn't, currently doesn't exist in Facebook Messenger. A Messenger bot won't pop up if you uh, approach a location because bots don't have access to location. But that will change, I'm, I'm sure of it. So you need to, they need to work together. And if those like thumbprints and location awareness aren't there, that, that won't, bots won't be able to be as effective as, as they can be. And really what we're talking about now is really to maximize the effectiveness for a business and a consumer to have an interaction. You had mentioned that you, in this case, uh, bots could be clearly better than apps for small businesses because they're never going to get the drag. They're never going to get thousands of downloads, but they could immediately build into a platform, whether it's a Facebook Messenger or whatever, and begin to do stuff. Is, is that the kind of work you're doing with small businesses at Maya? Right. We, I mean, in early days, we, we ran some pilots with local business to, to help learn more about maybe that transactional model and uh, doing some market research for... Uh, certain companies, I won't mention any names, who make apps for restaurants. And the average number of downloads I found for a restaurant app across hundreds of restaurants was less than five. So it was between one and five downloads. And the, and the cost of that app to build was uh, five, you know, 500 to 1,000 and, and up from there. So you think about it from a customer acquisition standpoint, you're paying hundreds of dollars per download that maybe the user used once for a $15 average order value. It doesn't, the economics didn't make sense. So right off the bat, that didn't make sense. And there's no connection, there's no awareness, right? So what I really like is a world where, you know, a user does a search maybe on Google or whatever on their Apple phone, and then it connects in to iMessage or Facebook Messenger or uh, Google's new Allo or Hangouts. And you can complete the transaction with your, you know, your local pizza joint. That, that's, that's cool for me. And I mean, that's low friction for the business. They don't have to do a lot of work to get on board either. Our company like us sits at that transition point, like between you know, search and a, a business. So we've got some unique apps that do a thing, an AI app. We've got an Amy from an X.AI, or a, I'm still fascinated by Digit in the fintech space because it only uses SMS as a communication. Yet... We've got the broader uh, approach that you're taking with this, uh, I hope it's a fair term, a conversational UX development framework. Uh, right. How do you see everyone evolving in this space? Right. I mean, it's, I think that AI, conversational pieces, bots, machine learning are going are gonna to be permeating all, all software. So it's, first of all, the space is very big. And, you know, 
the examples you gave are of bot first startups. So perhaps a bot first a startup, it's worth it for them to build their whole infrastructure. That's a technical choice on uh, on their side. Um, but we see a lot of bot first startups coming to us saying like, I want to try out an MVP and I don't want to build this, you know, thousands and thousands of man hours to, to figure out a framework before I even get my first bot interaction only to find out that this was a terrible idea. So there's that. The other piece is when you're looking at companies that aren't like tech startups on, on their, in their own, like a, a pro, the product isn't the bot. The bot is uh, augments their existing you know, service or product. Thing with travel. Right, travel. Travel is a great use case. Uh, concierge services, hotels, and that kind of thing. They're going to look at the, how do I create a great customer experience, a customer success story? Uh, solution does it involve building building all the plumbing of a, of a bot framework and all the NLP pieces that you need to pull together and the integrations and messaging apps, or are should they focus on their core competency, understanding their business, the tone of their bot, what they want their the use cases they want to accomplish, and so that's our premise. It's the, the don't repeat yourself principle. They should be focusing on that side, and the product the end product will be better. Other than getting dragged down in in um, in framework and uh, engine and NLP um, kind of technical detail. And we do, I guess this is history always repeating itself, right? There were, there were in the early days, people were writing their own database management system, right? Transactional systems and that right. Yeah, exactly. Real infrastructure. And, and even AWS is a great example. Are, you know, are you buying your own physical server from, uh, you know, my first startup, I bought, you know, bought a Dell server and drove it over to a data center which makes no sense, you know, spin up an instance on AWS or Google Compute Engine or, you know, what have you. It is a difference. So let's, let's say with some use cases. And you had mentioned that you thought financial planning, particularly with actionable advice, is a good place uh, for bots to be. Why do you see that? So with finance, there's a lot of data being collected every day. You make, everybody makes purchases every day on a credit card or what have you. And that data is, has pattern to it. And there's probably some action that a user could take, but they're not man- sitting there. I don't know many people who sit there staring at their finances and saying, okay, what if I were to do this or change this behavior? I'd be better off, you know, 25 years down the road. But if you have an agent, like a bot, like, or a piece of software doing that for you, there's a lot of value. And then it could pay, perhaps interject at the appropriate time, like, hey, you should shift, you know, maybe they've got a portfolio. Maybe you should shift your... Uh, your allocation in this way. And then this will save you X thousand dollars over the next 10 years. That's very valuable to a, to a user. And without that agent, that actionable advice never would have come up. Maybe they should stare at their finances more, but they're just not going to. And the system might point that information to the financial planner, but the financial planners don't seem to have the incentive to make that type of phone call. So you really do need that automated. Right. It just, it's, it's automated. There's just, and, and, and to that end, I mean, Perhaps the potential is greater for a, a computer to analyze more data than a, than a financial planner. Perhaps a financial planner combined with this model would be a hybrid solution. It would even be better, but I'm not excluding that possibility. So let's, let's build a solution. We'll talk about some of the different piece parts. Um, clearly, everything starts in my mind with data. Um, so you're working with companies that have amassed enough data to work with, I assume. I think the data has, has not been a challenge for you yet. So the smaller, the smaller bot first startups, they have no data. So they're, they're building from the ground up, trying to 
create a user experience, but the larger companies do have data, which makes designing and building and training a bot easier. So the classic case would be like replacing an, you know, an, an IVR. The great thing is you've got actual users' utterances, pain points that you can use to solve. It, it does a couple of things. One, it provides you kind of from, from a Pareto perspective, 80-20 rule. What are the most important use cases to focus on for your bot? Two, the actual text utterances to train maybe an NLP classifier or an entity extractor kind of thing. So that, that's great. Then the challenge at that point just becomes about what's the tone? What's, what's, there's still a design element to a bot. It's not like you just plug in, you know, take data, put it in a, you know, a sausage machine or something and out comes an amazing bot. There's still some design, quite a bit of design there to get, to get the user experience right. Just like anything, like a website or a mobile app. Now you met, That's good. So the data leads to design. Uh, and you talked about kind of the, some of the data really is the coming in for the voice response unit. Um, but it's not over. Once you launch the product, the idea is the bot, you should be iterating on it in almost real time. So improving your, your models over time or adding use cases that you maybe didn't miss at launch. So that's, that's, a, that's a really exciting part for me. The mutability, like the cha- how much it can change. Your, your bot can change. You launch with one, but it adapts to your users really quickly. Let me see if I, I'm going to say something that may be naive here. You may start with more of a menu-driven bot and as you get more experience and more data you shouldn't need that because i'm when you we talk about voice responses i'm press one press two obviously you start somewhere but you can get to anywhere is that is that so the evolution is to get away of, of, from the structured interaction that's interesting concept I, I i think of it as a little differently i i uh i think of it as like reduce the scope so reduce what you're trying trying to accomplish especially if you're going fully automated if you reduce the scope of the problem like I want to solve, you know, the account upgrade problem and then really nail that. That's going to be easier than I'm going to solve all customer support problems mm-hmm. and fail and fail miserably. Maybe in then iterate out that way. So you might find a, an account upgrade maybe leads into another type of uh, customer support request. Uh, I'm not sure, sure, you know, account upgrade, maybe, uh, you know, billing changes and that kind of thing. You know, often when you talk to a customer support agent, you have a second it leads to another another problem. So maybe I would circle it that way. But I do like your menu idea. So maybe you provide a really rigid structure and then learn from which pathways are being chosen to help focus your attention on automating and making them more human. But the key here, obviously, is to be focused. I, lo- I love the thought. You keep the scope down. Do, do things, do less things well, and then do more of them. Yeah, that's, that totally, that definitely applies, in, in, especially in the bot space. It's just if... It becomes un- untenable, unmanageable if you uh, try to do everything all at once. Will we be seeing, you think, as bots get more pervasive, do you think we'll see the nature of interactions changing and we'll see, well, we've talked a little bit about it, we'll see more of this pushing versus pulling? Right, yeah. I think, I mean, there's two sides. There's the bot side, then there's the, the consumer side and the, and the human side. I mean, Twitter is a good example where, you know, they, they release features and then people adapted to the limited feature set you know, for example, like at replies, like emergent patterns that were almost like workarounds or whatever around that platform. And then like Twitter would codify that, make that into an, an object in their system. So I could, I could see that you have the interplay between humans adapting to the system and then the system adapting back to how the humans interact with it. So I think that'll definitely be the case. And I think push is part of that. I think it's about comfort. I mean, I see CNN's bot push. You know, I, I get a daily uh, summary of the news stories every morning. And it works well. So I think push 
it's really intimate, so you need to get it right. And if it gets annoying, you're gonna, the user's going to mute that conversation pretty quickly. So let's kind of wrap. Um, so I'm the CEO of a business. Uh, I got a million issues on my plate. I got security issues. I got you know, strategy. I got, I got to worry about security. We want them to worry about security. I want them. I got to worry about revenue. I got to worry about product. And now you're going to show up sitting across the desk talking about messaging and bots. Um, what's kind of the key point that, that this gets prioritized at the C-suite level? That's a good, good, really good question. I think the key element is that we're, we're at the beginning of a, of a shift. So you're going to see AI, machine learning, messaging becoming more and more important in the everyday lives of consumers. And they're kind of come to expect these types of in- interactions. Your, your customers are going to expect this type of interaction. Basically, you need to get started working on this to deliver that customer, great customer experience. So does the CEO then call the product team in or is this broader across the company? And does the product team need to include data science team? Does marketing and sales have to get involved? In other words, how, how pervasive across a company as you work with uh, your different customers that you, you see uh, these different players getting involved? It's, it's, it's a lot of it is the, the product team. It's kind of seems to be initiated from a product or a, a product-minded tech evangelist or tech lead in, within a company that generally leads the uh, champions, the, uh, the initiative, I, I see anyway. But there's, the intersection is between product and marketing and customer experience, I would say. I think it's probably the, the elements. And then engineering is brought in, of course, because this has a, a technical component to it, especially with data, privacy, user authentication. So I would really say it's the sweet spot is between marketing, uh, customer experience, and product. This really is an outside-in play more than ever before. Websites are websites, and they get pretty standard. But well, what you could do with a bot and, and the choice of platforms you've got and how you do that interaction is, is a lot on the table to figure out. That's our episode. Thanks for listening to the Impact Podcast. I'm John Pryor.